Wait a minute. It says that this broadcast was de deleted. Are we live? I see live. Welcome to another episode of Talking From this amazing hit series. I'm going to call it a hit series from Epics that is part paint by number mystery and part just excellent horror and thriller. Uh, I call it a paint by number because I got to say, this is one of the few shows that I have seen recently that I absolutely have no idea what is going on. I'm as intrigued as any person about what is happening, but I cannot tell you for the life of me what might be happening. I had some guesses early on and they were completely destroyed by this episode. So, so I am going to introduce my co-host and let's have a chat about this second episode from From. All okay. right. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing wonderful. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, so this episode is called The Way Things Are Now, which is a clear reference to the fact that this town feels a little bit like your worst iteration of Groundhog Day, where maybe the day doesn't repeat itself, but nothing changes in the town. The town is static. Um, it's, I, I have to, I got to start out this episode by asking you, we're going to start to talk about what happened action wise, but one thing that we didn't get to talk about in the series pilot that I really wanted to see, get your opinion on was the way that everything looks in the town, how it, it looks partly run down, but partly not run down. Like, I don't mean anything's new, but like not everything seems like, oh, it's 1800s old, but boy, does it ever seem like there hasn't been anything new happening in this place in a long time. What, how did you think about uh, the actual set location where they are? Oh, I thought, I mean, I thought it was excellent the way that um, the, the town gave that this really great feel to it. It looked like you said, it looked old. But it, I don't know, it has like a, a hypnotic um, charm to it, if you will. Uh, it, I, yeah. It, it feels like um, one of those really, really, really old fishing villages where the houses are like, they're stable and they're good, but they just look weathered and beaten and like nothing has really been replaced there in a really long time uh, but they had some tech right i mean they didn't have tech like uh nobody's phone works and they didn't have computers but like they have i guess i would call it decorative tech there's things around that seem like oh maybe they work and then i i have to ask this question because this is a question that everybody asks to start 
where does their food come from? I, I'm it's, assuming they have uh, animals. Uh, I'm assuming that they they must have like cows and stuff. So I'm I'm gonna I, I'm gonna sort of talk about that in a little bit, but I am also gonna say that it is a fascinating thing that there is a diner in the middle of town, and it still feels like the people all go there to eat, and there's enough food to feed every single person in this town. It's crazy. It feels it feels almost impossible. You, um, you know what you know what it's kind of like. Do you remember that Stephen King novel? And uh, it was the TV show called uh, the. Um, uh, under the dome. Yes. It's almost like it's under a dome in a way. So when I say that from is a little bit like a paint by numbers mystery, I mean that, I mean, we basically each episode, we get a little bit of a palette and some places to fill in some colors and we can't possibly begin to know what's happening, especially in this episode, what's really happening overall. And I'm much further into the series and, and I still don't know what's happening overall. We get these little glimpses of things that feel as if they are important. Some things feel like they're not important. There's relationships that are happening and relationships that are building. And yet overall, we really don't have any clear understanding of what is really happening. And I say that because I feel like this is one of the, this show's triumphs by the second episode, which is the episode we're talking about today. I was so hooked on this series. And I realized afterwards that it had nothing to do with, did I think it was going to be scary? Did I think it was going to be a mystery? Did I, the characters in this story are so compelling and clearly have deep stories to tell that it is hard to turn away. You know something enormous is happening under the surface, but it's the characters that really drive this forward. So we're going to start uh, talking about the series by opening with where we kind of left off with the last time, which is in the RV with Boyd and um, the Matthews, the, well, the two Matthews men, and our paramedic, who right now are trying to basically survive the night. And in this episode, the night is everything, right? We are basically playing the game of can you survive the night? And, and it's on multiple different levels. Um, when Boyd is inside of the RV. He makes a temporary covering like a door and he puts up one of the talisman and he looks to our paramedic and says to her, and I got to remember her name. Um, and he says to her basically, uh, or she says to him, is this going to work? And, and he says, yeah, not convincingly, but, you know, yeah, 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 it has to work. And I loved that because I felt like, wow, okay, maybe it really isn't going to work. And maybe we are going to start this whole series off by losing a bunch of people. And that will raise the stakes for the people in the town. Honestly, I did not know what was going to happen. It just felt 
that chaotic. So I am going to ask you, Kinte, first of all, what did you think about the first, that first part? And then secondly, in terms of the overall uh, episode, what did you think about it all sort of taking place? Our entire one hour took place just over the course of the night. I think it was great because it's establishing what the fear is. So what it did, what it does is it, uh, it lets you know very early on in the series that what, what the threat is, what, you know, you can do to um, protect yourself from the threat as well as um, it also sets up um, what the stakes are. And I thought they did a very good job with that. Yeah, I did too. I mean, it, it is so clear from everything that we have seen so far and that we see even in the RV that fearing the night is, is not just hyperbole. Even if we hadn't seen the little girl get torn apart and her mom get torn apart, that surviving the night is more than just, uh, it, it's more than just horrific. It is, it's an absolute game of kill it will live or be killed i mean that's just sort of the bottom line but the but the idea of the talisman sort of being in uncharted territory was super interesting to me i really latched onto that like oh i see so they actually haven't tried this before they yeah. they did you get that sense as well oh yeah that they're learning they're learning on the fly themselves because we don't know how long they've been there so right so, yeah Oh, I really loved that. I really, I, because it felt like we as the viewers were also learning something that the characters didn't know too. So it wasn't like it was an established fact that, oh yeah, this is going to work. It felt very uh, high risk, which was awesome. So her name is Christy, by the way. It just Christy. came to me. Yeah, her name is Christy. Okay, so Christy is in the RV trying to act as basically the doctor. Uh, they're going to try to unstick our little guy from the RV floor and um, inside of the, the sort of, I guess, you know, the, the split screen, the next part of it is what's happening at this place called Colony House. And in Colony House, the second part of the uh, Matthews team, which is the mother and the daughter, they, first of all, they discover pretty early on that the things that are out there are real, that this isn't pretend that there's something real going on. But it's so funny to me because they see it on the porch and they clearly just dismiss it the next minute. Did you get that same sense? Yeah. I mean, you got to think about it. Um, this isn't natural stuff, right? So it's like your mind has to, it's like you're learning that there's a whole world that, you never knew exist. So it's like, no, this can't be real. What, like, what, what, what's going on? You know, like it takes, I think it, that's why they allow them to keep going in circles because they gotta, they gotta understand what, what it is that they're dealing with on some levels. Right. Now uh, the, the people that are in colony house, they basically treat the newcomers as if they are, uh, foreign bodies and they are the white blood cells that need to protect the rest of the body so they tie them up they lock them into rooms i mean like it's 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 hostile and it's clearly in a protective way like it you know it doesn't 
I never got the sense that like it was hostile in a, a terrible, violent way. It was just, no, look, we've all been through this. We know what it takes to survive. Either you go through this the right way or we don't, you know, we're not going to help you. That kind right. of thing. Right. Did, did you get that same feeling? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you can't blame them. I mean, uh, they have to do something to protect themselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, and especially because we know that these things can, for lack of a better term, dress up as right. people that we might know. Um, and that definitely is is a big... In fact, I was talking about this to someone else earlier. Uh, on When they're on the porch, doesn't it seem like Julie recognizes someone in sort of the monster crowd? Oh, yeah. 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 She, yeah. This guy right here. Yeah. She recognized that. Him. That feels like uh, that might be important later. I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, actually, I really don't know because we haven't seen anything so far that I've seen about him. But it does feel kind of important that we are aware that people are seeing things that are not real at night or maybe not real, but not a real representation of what's happening at night. So that I thought was super interesting as well. Um, okay. So, so we, we know that basically uh, the one side of the family is getting baptism by fire in the middle of the forest. Uh, they're being surrounded. Uh, voices are coming in sort of almost discorporal voices. Uh, and then they start banging on the RV. All the while, this poor little kid is trapped uh, on this steel spike that has come up through the floor. And Christy is trying to do her best to keep everything calm. Jim is clearly very upset. Uh, Boyd is trying to just make sure that, mm, does the talisman work? What can we do? Uh, the, it th that whole sequence in the RV that gets cut back and forth felt so like surreal in a way that I can only imagine being a part of. I mean, it's almost impossible to think that somebody is telling you that basically there's like, okay, there's monsters out there and they're real. And in the meantime, you're trying to deal with like, okay, your son is hurt or whatever. And somebody is telling you that there's monsters that are real. Like, where does your mind even go? I, I, I can't even imagine it. I just can't. And then if we split screen that with what's happening in Colony House, what we discover is that basically um, uh, there is this, the same thing is happening at Colony House, but in a different, sort of in a different way. Um, uh, Tabitha is, Tabitha's the mom, is being told basically they start out by saying this is going to be the longest night of your life right and i i feel like that actually is true because it is literally the transition between whatever you knew was real before and what is happening to you right now and either you can accept it and move forward or you will not accept it and most likely die and i felt like that was so powerful it was super powerful when she told the story about her sister uh, like i i would love to hear what your perspective of of how 
Tabitha's sort of exposure into this world went because I feel like like this is essential to understanding what everybody goes through when they're first there like it's almost like the stages of grief it's you know denial it's anger it's uh all of those things that all kind of happen and you're going through them at super breakneck speed so tell me what you thought about it well i mean you're finding out that you're basically stuck in purgatory and as far as they know there's no way out you know that this may be your the rest of your life uh i can imagine it must be frightening as hell you know and and you don't want to believe it you want to believe that this is not true and um you know i think the maybe the the best thing as far as their concern is i mean at least they're there with their whole family you know um uh, you know the people that they probably love the most, but still though, it, it's a nightmare situation. And, um, you know, there's, like you said, there's all this denial and whatnot. It's like, it's a nightmare, you know, like maybe it's a dream or a nightmare. So, well, I, I love the way that Donna starts out by telling Tabitha, basically, you know, okay, here's the story of my sister. This is what happened when we first came into town. This is why I know that this is real. And, to hear her story so grounded, um, I feel like that made it much harder for Tabitha to just ignore it. Like it clearly, this is something much bigger than just, you know, a bunch of people trying to scare me into thinking that there's monsters out there. Um, and yet I feel like Tabitha still didn't get it. She still wanted to sort of rail against it, like, no, that can't possibly be that. That's you're wrong. That's not what's happening at all. Um, I, I kind of love that just because I feel like they're all so skeptical um, that it makes the ultimate revelations just that much more poignant, more impactful. Like, yeah, of course, that is exactly what would happen. You know, once you accept that there's monsters, you can't go back from that. No. So I, thought that that, yeah. I thought that was great. Um, okay. So I, I, I think I want to move a little bit toward uh, how everyone is kind of coping with what's happening. And when I say that, I mean sort of everyone. Um, it feels like everyone has their own way of dealing with what's happening here. Um, I, everybody from Kenny to Tabitha to Donna um, and some of the new characters that we meet, they all feel like they, Fatima, who is, uh, who seems to really want to help. Um, well, she just wants to help. Um, they all seem like they have these amazing coping skills around what is happening to them. Um, and I, I wanted to kind of get your opinion about what you thought about some of those characters and what is happening to them. Well, you know, Kenny uh, has, a, you know, his situation is really sad. Uh, actually, you know, we forgot to mention that the episode kind of starts off with a flash forward of uh of him covered in blood, um, chopping a tree. Oh, right. And, um, you know, and then, uh, you know, when, it, what the ultimately what that turns out to be is very tragic, but, um, 
you know, I mean, to be honest with you, this is so like this is only two episodes in there. I don't really have a great feel of the characters yet. So I'm kind of like, you know, what I mean, like they're kind of just. You know, what I'm saying I haven't connected to him yet. So um, but Kenny, though, I did connect to pretty fast mm. as as well as obviously boy and uh, the Matthews family. Those were the ones that I really connected to. And then, uh, and then, you know, poor Kenny's dad, <laughs> you know. Yeah, too, oh, gosh. Yeah. So, okay. So, so Sarah leaves the door open. Yeah. I mean, she literally leaves the door open, which we know from our last discussion is what breaks the seal that the talisman seem to have on enclosed spaces. Now, what I think is very telling is even the spaces that were closed within the closed space were not safe because they tried to lock themselves into another room and even that wasn't safe. So clearly the talisman, there's something very special about that. And we don't know what that is. Do you have any theories? I have no idea. I mean, like you said, I, I'm trying to guess what's going to happen and I'm still uh, not sure. Let me ask this question about Sarah. Do you think that she left the door open to cover up what she did or did she do it to, to kill them? So, Originally, when I watched this episode, I actually thought that she left the door open because she was because she wasn't thinking because she had just done something horrific and she was sort of not like like she wasn't in her right mind. And and I thought that that's what they were trying to tell us. But no, that's not that absolutely is not what's happening. Um Oh, so she meant to leave the door open. She did mean to leave the door open. Yeah. Um, and and we'll find out in a little bit in, in the next coming episode or so. We're going to find out what it is that sort of made those things happen. How What is affecting Sarah that is causing that? Now, clearly Sarah's brother is like super upset and very uh, concerned about his sister. And in this episode, I think it's in this episode, this is where we hear about the chickens and how uh, the chickens and I guess some other animals, they just show up. Really? It's one, it's one line. And I, because I was so fascinated with where does all the food come from in the beginning, I heard that one line and replayed it like three times. They don't, oh. know, where, they don't know where the food comes from. It just shows up. Oh, so that's how, that's how they, um, Keep getting food. It's a they, it's such a, a a weird idea. It's super. You weird. know what I, I love. You, you know what I'm I'm guess I'm thinking though. Could this be some sort of some sort of test or something where some outside force that's putting them there in this situation and just to yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, you know. I, I I have originally, and again, you know, just to keep saying it, I am further ahead. So there's some things that happen 
in some later episodes, which are going to shed light on just how weird this place is because uh-huh. things work and they just absolutely shouldn't work. Like, why does the jukebox in the diner come on by itself for no reason? What What's up with that? Oh. It just comes on for no reason. Uh, it, it That feels very purposeful. But there's other things which also are like, well, we we can do this, but we can't do that. And that feels very odd, like just so odd. Um, they clearly still have medicine or some medicine. Um, they seem to have some things which sort of defy uh, logic of just sort of being in a place that should have run out of everything a long time ago. And we know that some of them have been here for a long time. We, you get the feeling that Kenny has actually been here for quite some time. I mean, there are moments of dialogue where people talk about the length of, uh, like, not it's not in years, it's not in how long, but if you look at the picture of Donna um, and her sister, uh, it seems like Donna was there for quite some time before, or when this happened before she sort of became the de facto head of Colony House. Just look at the picture that she shows. It's So they're not aging. uh, Well, I don't know if they're not aging. I think they actually are aging. But what I'm saying is they, some people have been there for quite some time. Oh, no, actually, I know that they're aging. They are aging. Um, There's there's a, uh, in the next episode that comes up, um, there's a very clear indication that they are aging. Um, and that actually brings up another point, which is um, we have a new character to sort of ruminate over, who I think is uh, very interesting. Um, and before I sort of introduce who this character is, I wanted to revisit Sarah again. Um one of the things that I think is most fascinating about a character like Sarah is we don't know what is happening with her and we don't understand what her motivations are. And so she becomes yet another threat, like the monsters are a threat. And now there's a threat from the inside as well, which is just basically people. And it feels like that means something pretty big. Like, it's not just that the that there's monsters outside. It's that there is definitely a threat from the inside, and that is just the way that people are. It is just the everyday. People are still elderly. People still have dementia. People still get sick, whatever. All of those things happen. The only thing that we don't know that might happen, and we haven't seen any of that, is can people actually have children there? Mm. And what is the fascination that these monsters seem to have with children? They're perverts. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking there's something, yeah, there's something going on. I don't think it's that, but thinking there's something going on with that. I don't know. I, I mean, when I say, I don't know, I mean, even in later episodes, I don't know, but I love how much of, how much of, how much of this we are centering on this idea that somehow children are a threat 
because that's what it feels like. It feels like to the monsters, children are a threat. That's why they're targeted. I, I absolutely felt that from the very beginning. So, well, I guess we'll have to see what happens with that. Hmm. Um, okay. I, I, I guess maybe the next, uh, the next character to sort of focus on um, is while Sarah, uh, I'm sorry, not Sarah, while, uh, um, while we have things happening at Colony House, right? Um, we realize that there's a lot of people at Colony House, people that maybe aren't actually supposed to be there um, because Donna kind of goes out of her way to say, like, you don't belong here. You, you don't live here. This isn't your place. We treat everyone like this. Um, which makes you kind of wonder what the difference is between Colony House and the rest of the town. Is it different? Is it a different place? Do they have different rules? Like, what's up with that? What did you think? Yeah, you know, um, I, I'm I'm be honest with you. Uh, I'm thinking like that maybe this is like a a world within the world. You know, like uh, you know where they have their own separate. Thing that's going on there, you know. Um, I mean, that's the the, the villain that I get from it. What about you? Like well, maybe it's its its own kingdom within the kingdom. Yes, I I think um, the the impression that I got pretty early on was that there were two divisions, right? The division was the people that basically live in town, and then the people that live in Colony House, and somehow. And I don't know exactly how to describe what the difference is, other than to say that there are different rules that apply to the people that live in Colony House than the people that live in town. Um, and even as far into the series as I am, I still don't exactly understand what caused that rift or what caused that division so that they had to have two separate places to sort of, okay, you're here or you're here. But it's very interesting because that dynamic feels like it's like it's important both to the story and also important to how the characters are processing the story. That is, if you're in Colony House, you're processing it one way. And if you're in the town, you're processing it another. Right. It, it just feels, yeah, feels really strange. So, okay. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about Victor. Um, Victor is such an interesting character. Um, I absolutely love this concept and I can't, I don't want to jump ahead. So I don't want to tell you sort of like what I know about uh, Victor in terms of his history right now, but I will say that Victor proves to be one of the most interesting recurring characters in the series. I think that isn't sort of like the, you know, we're not following him as the main protagonist. Um, and there's things that he says that just feel like, what, did he just throw that out there and not follow it up with anything else? Did, did people just hear that? Am I the only person that heard that? It's, it's kind of, uh, it's telling in a way. And when he passes and talks to, um, well, I guess I'm going to ask you, first of all, what did you think of Victor? And then I'll tell you what I was thinking made this so interesting. What did you think about that character? Um, I, I felt like, you know, once again, that he's another interesting character, hopefully not a red herring, that actually he has more to do with the story than 
you know, just a little bit. Um, you know, uh, that actor, he looks familiar. Um, I know I've seen him in something. Uh, His name is Scott McCord. Okay. I, I know I've seen him before in other stuff, but uh, no, he's uh, no, he's definitely one of the interesting characters that you want to know more about. And he, his filmography is so long; it basically it starts in 1998 and scrolls all the way down to 2022. He has been in he's been in the Blacklist. He's been in Jupiter's Legacy. He was in. Uh, Carter, he was in uh, Hemlock Grove, he was in Lost Girl. He he has been in so much, but he's one of those characters or one of those actors that is like a character actor that is sort of not in the background, but sort of plays the characters that fill in the blanks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I knew I, I knew he looked familiar to me, uh, but you know, like. I can see why I don't, I didn't necessarily remember who he was because, you know, a lot of those shows that he's, uh, that he's, um, on, you know, I don't think he probably, as far as I can see here, doesn't seem like he's never had like a very significant part, you know? No, he wasn't main character status in almost anything. Right. So, okay. So my first opinion of Victor was, well, maybe he's mentally unstable. I mean, he's talking about peaches and he's talking about, you know, uh, doing little things in order, in exchange. Very, he was kind of creepy. So that, yeah. Well, you know what? Was he creepy really? Or was she just making him creepy? Because I feel like she was just making him creepy. I don't actually, when I went back and watched that scene again, right? I, I, I'm not saying that like, you know, maybe his behavior wasn't a little off but his behavior being off wasn't necessarily creepy it was her response to uh it was julie's response to victor that made it feel like like that was higher stakes than it actually was now don't get me wrong because in the very next episode that we are going to see um basically him being creepy is for a completely different reason and and i i mean that like from the bottom of my soul it it you totally realize why he's there but then you really understand how insane this whole thing feels it because it's again you know, paint by number story, it starts to feel like we're just getting tiny glimpses of whatever this big picture is. So there's that, that is definitely a part of it. Um, But again, I, I just, I felt like it was Julie's response to him that made, that made people feel like he was being creepy when actually I don't think he was. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And then I think somebody even said, that he was not somebody that you had to worry about. He's just, he's a little different, but but he's right. safe. And, and there is such a good, boy, would I ever love to say some more. There is a really good reason why he is a little bit off. It is, it is one of the most telling 
pieces of the story that feels like, oh, finally, we're going to get like a big clue about something and a, and this super terrible thing that we see in a flashback happens and it still doesn't shed any light on really what's happening. So yeah, you there's so much to sort of unpack and process about how some of the stories that are unfolding are unfolding and how little they actually give us, but how even in the little moments, it feels like, oh, that's plenty. Oh, that's, yeah, don't give me too much more because I got a lot to process here. So yeah, I'm, I'm not complaining about that. Not at all. Not even a little. Um, so uh, give me, I would love to know, is, as the night goes on, obviously, if we flash back to the RV again, um, everybody's scared. <clears throat> and and it, the only person who basically, I think, isn't scared in, in a meaningful way is, uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. I think everybody's scared. I feel like uh, the 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 idea that everyone is afraid of what is happening in the RV extends even to Christy, who feels like she is way more cool maybe than anybody else, uh, just because she's got a sense of direction and you know she's doing stuff. But Ethan, the little boy, his even he senses that there's something pretty huge going on here. And when Jim, his dad, is talking about what he hears, he's basically covering in a dad way for his kid going, yeah, everything's fine. It's okay. You're okay. You know, everything is going to be okay. Clearly not everything is okay. And I was wondering how you felt or what you thought might be happening in those moments. Like, did you feel like... Um, did you feel like there was something more than than we understand about what is going on out there? You know what the the things are. I, I I loved in this episode that we basically didn't see any of those things. I mean, not in the RV. That in the RV it was basically um, what we hear is probably much scarier than what we could ever see. It, all of the fear was all within the actors. Did you, how did you feel about that? What did you get from that? Oh yeah. That sometimes the, it's better. Your imagination of what's out there is more scarier than what's actually out there. I mean, even though we know what's out there is pretty scary. <laughs> so, right. So, um, but um, obviously, you know, by the end of the episode, we see that the kid can see things that uh, the adults can't see. That's so, right. That's so, right. And, and remember what I said before. Uh, well, first of all, let me go back to that. I feel like that's a metaphor for this entire, or a metaphor that runs through this entire series. The metaphor that runs through the series is, it is scarier what you don't, what you can't see. What you don't know is sort of happening. That is way scarier than the things that you can see. And remember, we know what they can see. They can see very scary things. So... In, in in escalation, it is enormous to say that they are things that are scarier than the things that they can actually see. I just yeah, I just had to say that. Um, so by the end of the episode, we discover that Ethan can actually see this little boy, right? Who is? You know, I thought the boy was him. 
Oh, at first, but it, it, it's another actor plays it. It is, and it's, and this is, this is going to go back to what I said. And this is unconfirmed. I mean, I don't know that this is what's happening because even in the later episodes, I still don't have any confirmation of this. But my feeling is that kids are a threat because I don't think that little boy is a threat. I think that that little boy, there's something about children in this world that is threatening to the beings, to the monsters. And I don't know what it is. I wish I could close in on what that is. But my my gut feeling says, oh, well, no wonder they want to kill kids. They want to kill kids because aside from just the visceral terror that, you know, this is causing, and aside from whatever satisfaction they're getting out of killing things, there's something about children that is clearly demonstrably uh, challenging, threatening. Um, there's something about it that is causing a problem. Uh, and I, again, I, I don't have any clear reason, but then why would the boy be out in the middle of the day, number one? Number two, why would Ethan be able to see this little boy and nobody else can? I, I just feel like that is an essential question to be asking going forward. Um, what did you, what, 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 other than thinking that he was Ethan, what did you think about that little kid? Kid was very spooky. Uh, <laughs> but uh, He was spooky, right? Yeah. Because when I was like, wait a minute, he's seen him in the daytime. Like, what the heck? And uh, yeah. he's telling him to shh. As you, I don't know if you can see the image. Yeah. Yeah. He's telling the, the, the you know, I guess be silent about his the fact that he's there. That he can um, see him. Right. Um yep. uh kind of reminding me of uh do you did you ever see Sinister? Yes. Kind of had a sinister vibe to it. Actually the kid kind of looks like the kid from Sinister. Uh sinister. he does, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh great movie, by the way. We should uh, review that. But uh um but uh speaking of another Ethan. Right. Oh yeah, Ethan Hawke, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but um, yeah, it's like okay, wow, okay, because like you think you know the rules, and this shows you like, wait a minute, what does this mean? Like, you know, because by this point you think you know, like, okay, daytime, everything's fine. Yeah. So now this tells you like, oh, wait a minute, there's other, there's other rules that we gotta that must uh, adhere to. So, and, you know, and and. And I have to say that when I saw him in the daytime, at first, I really, I actually made the jump, uh, the, the conclusion that, oh, wait a minute, maybe the monsters can come out in the day and they're just choosing not to. But then I was like, no, no, wait a minute. No, that is, sounds completely wrong. Everything that the show has been telling us is that nighttime is the right time. That's the, <laughs> nighttime is the right time. That's the right time to die. Right. Um, because we don't get we get no stake at all in anybody being scared or in fact they're doing laundry in the day i mean like it's so the the the, the life level is so mundane in the day that clearly they are not troubled by it so no i don't think that that the monsters can walk in the day i think this is something else and i don't know what it is maybe there is like a supernatural uh standoff between the force that is what we see in the little dark kid the the and uh, you know look show that picture again show that picture of that little boy again 
what is he wearing? White. Yes. Oh, white. Yeah. Yes. And and it and even his shorts, we can't see it here, but even his shorts are white. Um, and so and, it and he's does, called the boy in the white too. It, it feels very much like maybe that is our indication that he is on the side of good. I I I don't again, I don't know, but boy, does it ever feel that way. So lots and lots and lots to sort of process out and, and try to understand. Now, I, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about what happens to Kenny's dad, right? Yeah. Uh, poor Kenny's dad. Kenny's dad is an older, uh, an elderly man who clearly has some form of dementia as well, but is getting along. Um, and his caregiver, who Christy leaves to go rescue uh, Ethan and um and be with jim and boyd in the rv she's there with him and there is absolutely nothing that she can do once she realizes that they have made their way inside so they retreat into kind of like a, a storage room um and in that room they meet their final demise um and it's horrific it is what we see afterwards is just man I, i'm you know, I, I, I've hated my mom on a number of occasions. Sorry, mom, if you're listening. Um, but I would never wish anything like this ever on anybody. And to have that be the last visual that you have of your parent has got to be, that's just got to send you over the edge. I mean, I don't, I have no idea at all right now how Kenny is even holding it together a little, you know, yeah. it's just huge. And, you know, I don't know about you. But take a look at that blood stain behind them. Uh-huh. That is not the blood stain of someone who or something that just sort of like casually even ripped through a body. That is it feels ragey. It feels right. right? Yeah, they've been waiting to get a chance to get somebody. Right? I mean I, I don't I, I was kind of wondering if maybe I was off base with that, but it really it feels well like they went ninety six they went ninety-six days without getting anybody. So in the last two days they got four. So <laughs> you know right, right. And and just as an uh as an well, aside, wait, does the other guy count? Like because it looked like they ripped him up too, the guy that was already dead. So one, just, two Actually, I think it's three because Sarah killed the other guy. Well, he killed him. She killed him, but his body was ripped to shreds. Like right, unless she right. did that, and, and we no, didn't see she didn't. No, she didn't rip him to shreds. So they came in and ripped his dead body to shreds. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's why that's why I said in our previous episode, it does feel like there's something happening with the reason that they are tearing the bodies apart. I don't know what it is. Um, I don't think it's for nutrients or sustenance because uh, why wouldn't they eat the rest of the body? They leave the head, right? Are they, I mean, and the legs and the arms? I mean, are they just that picky eaters or what's going on there? I don't know. And are they eating them or are they ripping them to shreds? Or Yeah. Or are they using the organs for something else? I mean, I don't know. At this point, it feels like everything is on the table. It doesn't feel like there is a single idea that we could come up with which we would go no there's no way that could be happening because then you could just look at something else and go yeah oh you know what maybe maybe mm. this is exactly what's happening maybe they're all you know i don't know maybe this is some 
I, I, the only thing that I don't think that it is, because there's just a number of indications which make me sort of move away from it, I don't think that they are in hell. I mean... Purgatory or hell? Yeah. I, I, later, I hope not. That would be terrible. In, in the series, I feel like they, and this is later, I feel like they throw a number of sort of like red herrings out about that and sort of like make you double question. Oh, are we in hell? Is this, you know, whatever... But then there are too many, there are too many specifics that are happening. And later on in the series, also, one of the characters says, you know what, does it matter, actually? We're here. So, and I feel like that is sort of why we as the audience shouldn't be paying attention to whether that's a truism or not. And like you said, I sure hope it's not. That's for the audience. That's, I think that was their message to the audience. Like, you know. You know, we're here. It doesn't matter. Exactly. Know? Exactly. Yep. Yep. But it all. But it also. Remember though, these are the these guys worked on loss, and that was the whole thing about loss. Was there in purgatory or not? Which makes me doubly hope that that is not the message that we're getting this time around, because I would be really upset if that was the message. I mean, yeah, it doesn't. It definitely doesn't feel that way. And again, you know, there's things that are going to happen in uh, just one or two episodes from now which will deepen the mystery even further and by deepen the mystery i mean like there are some things that just absolutely blow your mind and make you go Hmm. for what purpose is all of this happening Uh, and it's oh god it's so good i mean everything about this series makes me happy i think because it starts out with these really awesome character bases that just keep getting better and more refined in terms of their in terms of their sculpted appearance in terms of what their backstories reveal about them and how they are manifesting what is happening in the present as it relates to the newcomers in town um, and why this is such a huge thing. Why is it important that all of these things are happening? What possible relevance can this have? And, and how do the people who are living here now, how do they keep managing to keep any semblance of sanity about them? I mean, like, it's just, it's pretty, overwhelming but that's i feel like what makes it so good there is a a kind of incomprehensible insanity about this that is told in a way that doesn't make you in the audience feel like it's just a lot of disconnected gibberish or oh my gosh you know there's so much horror and violence that we can't possibly keep attention to any one given thing it just feels like the stakes keep getting raised again and again and the second episode made me realize that this was not that the pilot was not a fluke there is a tone there is uh, a tempo and a really excellent sense of storytelling here that as it unravels is just spectacular so I, i i'm so sorry i know i talked a lot tell me Overall, what are your thoughts about this episode? I thought it was very good. I liked the ep- first episode a little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. But this episode, you know, it it gave you a little more background. It kind of put the... Because uh, I feel like the uh, Matthews family is supposed to be us, right? 
yeah. and don't know what's going on uh, and thrusted in this world that they didn't, you know, ask to be in, of course. So I feel like I feel like um, uh, this episode, you know, gave some some answers. Uh, obviously, not all the answers, but um, I thought overall it was a pretty good episode. It was a good follow up to the pilot. I'm I'm going to really uh, lean in on um, what your responses are to a couple of the more fantastical things that happen uh, in very upcoming episodes. Um, uh, and the reason that I say fantastical is not because, oh, it feels like magic or, you know, but because of the way that they present these fantastical things, how centered on the world they make it. It makes it unlike most uh, fantasy or science fiction kind of stories because it's not, it, it doesn't feel that far off. It doesn't feel like there's a huge stretch of the imagination to imagine sort of being in this position and the slow reveal the slow burn of the story is perfect for us to keep being uh i think invested over and over again in what's happening and who we think the bad guys are and who we think the good guys are don't feel like a fixed position here it feels like this is very like what we're being led to believe is good or bad may not actually be the good or the bad that we think it is. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. It I'm I'm I am I'm actually really excited to both hear what you have to say and discuss some of the reveals that are coming up because some of them are just so cool. I just absolutely, I'm really excited. Okay. I can't wait to start talking about it. Well, them. how soon can we cover the next two episodes? Well, I say that we should cover the next two episodes as soon as we can. Um, we okay. right now we are at um, the last episode that aired was um, six, right? Uh, six book 74. Um, and book 74 was, a great episode very when good the, when the when these episodes come out uh they come out on i want to say they come out on is it thursdays no wait a minute the episodes come out on sundays that's right they come out on sundays uh um, well if we if we can um uh i'm gonna try to watch them tonight and then maybe uh we can tomorrow or the next day we can uh and then maybe we can catch the the newest episode and it will be on a regular schedule there's only 10 episodes in this series. Um, uh -huh. We already know um, that um, we already know that, that we're not going to get an actual uh, conclusion to all of this because of some stuff that was aired already. Uh -huh. uh, so we know that we're not actually going to get a, a resolution, but that seems like that might actually work in its favor because has it been picked I, up? Uh, I haven't seen that it was picked up, um, but I haven't seen that it was canceled either. And we know that Epics works on a kind of uh, different when they renew things is a little bit different. Um, we watched a show called Chapel Wait, and Chapel Wait is the show that I was telling you about that is the beginning of Salem's Lot or the prequel to right. Salem's Lot. 
Uh, and they waited, gosh, a full, what, four or five months before they announced that there was a season two. And and I didn't even think that it was possible to do a season two. So I don't know. Okay. Um, but but I do I feel like there is very strong indication that there will be a season two for this simply because there's they, they clearly and heavily invested a lot in this. So it feels like that it's got a pretty good chance. All Let's right. see. Okay, so the so the the very next episode uh, that we will be talking about, or maybe the first, the next two episodes. One is called Choosing Day. That's episode three, and then the next episode is called A Rock and a Far Way. Um, this the, the, it's episode four where things really start to jumble and uh-huh. get heated up. So if we can get through episode three and four that would be fabulous all right that'll be the next one it'll be three and four right so how can say how can we find you on social media all right you can get me at kente f on twitter at kente ferguson on instagram and of course the website is the indieradio.com uh jen how can we get you on social media and all that good stuff i just wanted to mention that uh that indie radio has an amazing amount of content. And if you are looking for a podcast that has any one of a number of different subject matters from things that are related to series to things that are related to movies to things that are related to horror, there is so much over there. I mean, just absolutely a a huge amount. So you'll find something you like. So go visit. Um, And you can find me at moviesandmeals.com. Um, also, I don't know, I guess I should maybe mention, I also do another podcast now that's called The Movie Potluck. And The Movie Potluck airs every Thursday. We have a panel of guests. We pick a topic. This week is swashbuckling movies. And everybody brings uh, a meal to our potluck. We discuss the movie and we discuss the food that we want to bring to our movie. So it's a lot of fun. So hopefully we'll get to see you over there as well. All right. But with that said, I guess we'll see you guys uh, next time. Can't wait for the rest. <laughs>